Hello, and welcome to Learning for Life at Gustavus, the podcast about people teaching and learning at Gustavus Adolphus College and the myriad ways that Gustavus liberal arts education provides a lasting foundation for lives of fulfillment and purpose. I'm your host, Greg Castor, faculty member in the Department of History. On Sunday, April 11th, 2021, almost a year after the murder by police of George Floyd in Minneapolis, another black man, Dante Wright, was fatally, if perhaps unintentionally, shot by a police officer in nearby Brooklyn Center. In response to the shooting, State Representative Samantha Vang, whose district includes Brooklyn Center, issued a statement which read in part, No matter what we learn as this situation develops, it is clear that our community is facing a traumatic experience that will cause a lot of pain. We must stand together as a community and focus our energy on maintaining peace while seeking justice. Representative Vang, I'm proud to say, is a Gustavus graduate, class of 2016, where she majored in communication studies and political science. In addition to her academic work at Gustavus, she was active around issues of hunger, equity and justice, and cultural awareness. As a first-year student, she co-chaired a new campus organization, the Diversity Education Exploration Project, or DEEP, and as a junior, she was one of two Gustavus students out of 800 undergraduates nationwide to be awarded a prestigious Benjamin A. Gilman International Scholarship sponsored by the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. The scholarship helped to support her year-long study abroad in Japan. Sam won election to the legislature in 2018 as a member of the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party, or DFL, and one of the first two Hmong American women to win a House seat. She has sponsored and co-sponsored numerous bills, including one to end the kind of traffic stop by police that led to Dante Wright's death, and served on a variety of committees, including most recently the Public Safety and Criminal Justice Reform, Finance, and Policy Committee. She also chairs the legislature's People of Color and Indigenous Caucus. I've been looking forward to speaking with her about the Dante Wright tragedy and its aftermath, as well as her path to politics and work as a representative, and I'm grateful she could join me now that the jam-packed special a special session of the legislature has ended. Sam, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you, Greg. Thank you to uh, you and Gustavus for having me on. Uh, Our pleasure. Yeah, thank you. I know you might, hopefully you're still standing. And it just sounds like it was a pretty brutal uh, session, special session. Maybe we could start there. What, I mean, what is a special session in in Minnesota? Who called this one? What was it about? What did Mm -hmm. you, um, what did you accomplish? So, um, in a, we have what's called uh, a regular session, and we are constitutionally elected to work uh, uh, for four to five months. So, it can be from January, February to uh, the end of May. So, that's what's considered um, regular session, and that's the time that we go to uh, the Capitol and we work on bills and, and try to get them into law. Um, when we don't get the work done, uh, we have to do what's called a special session, so an extended version of, of the regular session. And uh, this year is a very important year because it's about passing a state budget. And if we did mm-hmm. not pass a state budget, that means uh, we could face a government, a state government shutdown, and we mm-hmm. definitely do not want that. And so, no. um, when the when regular sh- session ended. Um, I think we also knew that we will also get called back into special session because um, we are in a pandemic and the governor 
um, has uh, emergency, had emergency powers in which he has to renew every month. And so there's also uh, a little less pressure to finish uh, on time in May because we knew we were going to come back uh, very soon anyway. So uh, we took that time to really um, work um, and, and, and hone in on the, the final numbers of the budget. Um, and uh, thankfully, we finished just in time by June 30th. That's great. And every is it every I guess Minnesota too, right? Has to have a balanced budget, is that right? Yes. By law. Yes, yeah. by okay. law we have to have a balanced budget. Right. Yeah. Um and, and is it Governor Waltz, the governor of the state who calls the special session? Uh yes, Governor Waltz has to call the uh, uh, for a special session for us to come back and work. And I should note for people who might be listening, not familiar, Governor Tim Tim Waltz, uh, also from the DFL party. So, well, that sounds good. I mean, at least it was successful, um, but boy, intense, I gather. And uh, just from yeah, our, I mean, for what has happened in the, in the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, I feel like I can definitely write a whole book about it. So it's been, <laughs> <laughs> this whole Maybe entire session, yeah, this whole entire session has been quite, quite, uh, quite the session. I haven't been able to find a word to best describe it, but it's. It's only my second term, and each term has never ceased to amaze me. Um. <laughs> yeah, I want to get into that. What you, what you're, I mean, that that's interesting. And we should know, since you mentioned, you know, it's not you're not meeting, um, you're not required to meet year round. So, do you have sort of a, a, a day job? What else do you? What else is that typical of state legislators in Minnesota? Yeah, well, uh, we are considered a part time uh, legislator, um, so we, you know, work pretty much half the year. Um, to, you know, for regular session. Um, and I actually uh, am one of the lucky ones to be able to have uh, another day job. Um, a lot of uh, my colleagues, you know, have to be self-employed because no employer wants to hire someone to work for half the year. Oh, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I got really lucky with my job um, and I work at a nonprofit um, and, you know, they were able to be flexible with me, um, allow me to, you know, work full time. Uh, at the legislature during regular session. And then this is now that I'm done with session, I can go back to working at my other day job. That's great. What's it? Tell us a little bit about the nonprofit. What does that involve? Yeah. So I, I work at Homeline. Uh, oh. We, yeah, we are a nonprofit that uh, we provide um, the only statewide tenant hotline. And so if, if renters have issues with their landlords, they give us a call and I'm one of the staff behind the phone call uh, who give them legal advice on, um, you know, what their rights are, what they can do um, to uh, help their situation. And I wonder, are the, are the, the um, federal government's prohibitions on evictions, is that is that ending, I think? Is that going <laughs> to, you're going yeah. to be even busier? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, Minnesota has stronger um, protections than the CDC um, uh uh, the CDC orders. And so uh, we didn't pay too much attention to the federal um, uh, calls, but because uh, Minnesota um, has stronger protections and okay. and there's no more uh, an eviction moratorium because the governor's emergency powers ended. But we right. have passed into law what's called like a, um, an off-ramp eviction moratorium. And so oh. um, that's that's what we're working with right now. That sounds, I mean, that's good. So another, another reason to live in Minnesota, it sounds like. <laughs> um, so tell us, this is all very interesting. We'll get back to your work as a rep. I have a lot more to talk about with respect to that. But 
first, let's talk a little bit about you, uh, your your own personal uh, story or background. Um, tell you were born in St. Paul, is that right? No, uh, born oh. and raised in North Minneapolis. Oh, North Minneapolis. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, tell yeah, tell us a little bit about that. How, uh, your your background. Yeah, so um, I'm a proud daughter of refugees. My parents, they arrived in the uh, dead of winter of uh, 1992 and uh, with nothing but the clothes on their backs and my brother in the womb. And then shortly after um, I was born um, and, you know, we we first, well, my parents, they first landed in uh, uh, Minneapolis, north, north, south Minneapolis and kind of moved up to north Minneapolis. Um, and that's where I grew up. Um, and it was after the third grade that I started attending a school in the suburbs. So I'm a, uh, Robinsdale school area, um, district student. Um, I attended Robinsdale middle school and then went to Armstrong mm-hmm. high school. Um, and, um, eventually I, uh, my family and I, we moved to Brooklyn center and just kind of hopped over the North Minneapolis border and, and we've been a long-time residents ever since. Um, Did you? So, were your parents? Mm-hmm. Were they coming from Laos? Were they? Is that? Yeah, they 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 came from Laos, and then then they um, were Thai uh, refugees. They were okay. refugees in Thailand, and then they got um, um, selected to to come here. What do you know? What they had had done in um, in Laos? Were they farming or? Um, well. All I know about my dad was very young. Um, there was a time where, um, the, you know, the U.S. pulled out of the war and the Hmong um, were being persecuted. And so my grandpa was actually one of um, the first soldiers to to fought with the U.S. Mm-hmm. And he's also um, an elected official um, uh, in his village. And, uh, they, you know, once the U S pulled out of the war, the Hmong were persecuted. We had to flee to the jungles. And, um, you know, I was told that my dad was two years old in the, in the jungles when my, my grandpa died. So he never really, mm. um, you know, met, uh, you know, doesn't have much memories of, of his dad. Right. And, boy, yeah. Boy. Um, and you know, that he, he must have grown up, uh, he grown up with his uncles in Thailand and, um, and, you know, my parents, they met over there, I, I believe, and, um, got married and, uh, came over here. It's so amazing. I mean, it's hard to, it's, it's certainly not your typical story. Um, that, that's for sure. What about, um, what about your parents now? What do they do? Uh, are they retired or they're still working? Yeah. So, um, my mom is no longer working. She had to, she had, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer uh, just like before COVID happened. And so we had to go through, yeah, we had to go through, it was very tough, go through treatment during, um, during, uh, the pandemic. Mm. Um, so my mom is no longer working and my dad, he, he still works. He works at, um, Honeywell and yeah. yeah. So he's, he's, um, been there for a long time and he's he's a rock of our of our family and so uh, well i hope i hope your mom will be okay what um and do you have you, you sounds like you have a brother and sister yeah so i have an older brother and then it's me and then two younger sisters and a baby brother who's 10 years younger so all my siblings <laughs> wow. were 
we're, there's five of us total and we're all each a year apart, but the baby brother is, is 10 years younger than me. <laughs> That's great. That's so great. Um, future Gusties, perhaps, Gustavus students. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So tell, and speaking of Gustavus, tell us a little bit. So how did you, um, uh, so you're going, you went to Armstrong High, is that what you said, I think? Yes. And then, yeah. And so how do you, um, I ask this of everybody because I just find it interesting. How do you find your way to Gustavus? Why Gustavus? Yeah. Um, Gustavus is actually the last school that I applied for last minute. Um, I was a senior, uh, at that time and, um, it was actually Mr. Moss. He is, a uh, he was my study hall teacher. Um, and he is a Gustavus alumni and he was talking about, you know, his experiences and his stories, um, you know, uh, at Gustavus. And, you know, I, it was, it's just, he was a great storyteller and, it seemed so fun because they were seeing some fun, so fun and, and, uh, got me really interested in checking out Gustavus. And so, um, I decided to check out the website. I signed up for a tour. I applied for it last minute, got in in time. And, um, you know, Gustavus is also the only school that I actually toured to. So once I finished the tour, I, um, uh, I, I loved it. And so I, uh, paid my $500 deposit. I believe was it 500. Well, I paid a deposit, um, and, uh, never looked back since. It's, I, I say this so many times in this podcast, it's always amazing to me that the impact of the personal visit, the in-person visit on uh, prospective students, I kind of joke, if we could just get everyone to visit, we, I know we'd have to turn people away. There's something about that tour <clears throat> that that works its magic. Well, we're glad you came. Um, and are you are you the first in your family to go to college? Uh, yes. Uh, well, my my dad um, went to a technical college, and okay. it took him, you know, probably a couple, uh, at least a decade to to get his associate's degree because he was raising yeah. us us kids. And then, right. yeah, I'm the first first in my family to to finish. Well, not yeah, well, my, of, besides my dad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, somewhat similar. My mom, my dad did not go to college, World War II, but then my mom went to a two-year teacher college. And so I think certainly in my immediate family, I'm the first and my brother two years younger followed, followed mm -hmm. me. But um, yeah, there are a number of first generation college students. I don't know how many, but a you know, fair number at Gustavus. So w when you came to Gustavus, were you already interested in politics? I mean, did you know I want to major in political science? No, actually, I was um, trying to go for the pre-med route. Um, and after taking two science courses in one semester, I was like, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I I was actually in high school that I um, was already involved in politics. I would say that was like my political awakening because I uh, was already doing some organizing work or campaign work uh, when I was in oh. high school. Around, I, around what around what issues school issues or um it was actually um uh, a candidate running for office oh that's great yeah um i was i has, i was a high school junior at that time i didn't have uh school was already done summer started i didn't have any exciting summer plans or summer job and so my my niece approached me and said hey do you want to volunteer and not really knowing what I was getting myself into, I said, yeah, sure, I'm not doing anything exciting. <laughs> so I went and uh, wow, it was definitely a learning curve. 
Um, That's an incredible experience, though, especially at that age. Was that for yeah. was that the can, a candidate for state office, or uh, he he was running for Hennepin County Commissioner? Okay. And I didn't know what the heck that was, but <laughs> I <laughs> I definitely learned a lot about it, and it really motivated me to um, stay involved because, um, especially, I recognized that the. Like, I, I still don't like campaigning work. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to cold call people and ask them for, yes, you know. Yes, I, I cannot do it. My wife, my wife, Kate, does it for some, can I, I cannot do it, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't like it, but it, it is part of the work. But what, what really keeps me going is, um, what kept me going at that time was, um, like, my Hmong community uh, was, I noticed how invisible we were uh, to mainstream mm. politics. And that really uh, fueled me and, and the frustration of, like, why did I have to work so hard just to, you know, because um, not a lot of people understand even the basics of how to vote, you know, where to vote, um, how to register to vote. And we uh, at that time, it was it, it was a lot of work for us to just uh, get people engaged and to um, just go out and vote. And so a simple, um, a very simple right um and not a lot of people utilize it and so i that really motivated me to um to organize the the asian american community here in minneapolis um and that has yeah remained involved and i didn't think right um going to Gustavus, i uh, wanted to do pre-med and that didn't work so well so i decided to do politics or do poli sci because i was already familiar with it um, uh, in, in a way that, uh, yeah, um, just in experience. And also, um, I took extra AP courses in, in, in us government. And so I was like, well, I'm already, you know, uh, a class ahead in poli sci, <laughs> so might as well go in for it. Well, it turned out to be a good fit, um, given what you, mm -hmm. given what you were, do, what you were doing, what you've been doing since. And then what about communication, communication studies? How did you get involved in that major? Yeah. So, um, I added that because I was also thinking of, um, um, doing international relations, um, and cause they didn't have like an international relations major. So, but poli sci communications will, will be a good, um, substitute for that. And I, which is one of the reasons why I decided to study abroad in Japan is because I wanted to do, um, foreign service, um, okay. after graduating college. And after my year abroad in Japan, I uh, realized, well, it's probably better for me to to work um, to settle my roots back at home. Um, this is also interesting and important to me, important lessons for current students, prospective students, because, you know, you need to experience all of us. We need to experience things mm -hmm. at times, right, to know we don't necessarily want to go that route. And then it doesn't mean we haven't, I'm sure you learned a great deal while you're in Japan and, um, you know, valuable experiences, but, um, you also learn that's, that's not, that's not the route for me or not where I want to be. Uh, so I think those are really important. I'm wondering what, what other, what other important experiences you had at Gustavus? I mentioned your involvement in deep, uh, which is, which is interesting, but what, what, what else mm -hmm. comes to mind? Yeah. And I, uh, Gustavus is, is a great community. Um, I love Gustavus in that like academically, professionally, and personally, a student, um, has many opportunities to grow. And, um, I always tell, uh, uh, 
younger students uh, to say, you know, use this time to explore, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. Right now it's okay for you to, you know, make mistakes and, and, yes. uh, and so use that time to explore and, and enjoy uh, uh, whatever that uh, is there for you. And Gustavus really offers that. Um, and, and I think uh, had I known uh, better as a young high schooler, the only one thing that I will probably not choose Gustavus for will be uh, for the lack of diversity. <laughs> yes. I wanted uh, to ask you about that. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to, I just wanted to be, be frank about it and ask you about what it was, what it was like to be a, a student of color, an Asian American woman in particular at, at a, and at a campus that is still mostly white and is in a state that's still mostly white, a town, St. Peter, that's mostly white. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, and I, and, and it was, it was, um, it was interesting. I mean, uh, that I think that's the only thing that uh, if if I, I that I wish when I started applying for college that I thought thought more about um, uh, the importance of diversity and but in that itself it really presented an opportunity for me and my friends um, to to contribute something to that um, and that's yes. how you know we you know co-founded uh, Deep the diversity education exploration project. It really started with a, a simple idea, like you know, me and, and my friends uh, who were uh, students of color, we, we got um, a week early. There was a, a little cohort that Gustavus put us together to come in a week early before uh, the freshmen. And so we were already there. And um, that was how we, we were able to, um, you know, uh, bond together first and uh amongst me and my friends we we spring break was coming up and we were thinking you know we wanted to have uh we wanted to do something fun uh we had a spring break uh, spring break coming up and uh we also wanted to have a rich experience and at that time we had a great mentor uh glenn lloyd oh he, sure yeah, he was uh, the director, the diversity uh, center assistant director. Right. And he helped us honed uh, this idea into um, a student-led organization deep. And I think it's still going on today, right? I believe so. Yeah. And you, the organization, at least when you were uh, helping to lead it, you traveled, right? Is that right? You went yes. around. Went to, yeah, go ahead. Yes, because we were a bunch of, uh, you know, students of color. We'd never been out of state. Um, you know, Gustavus in itself, it's its its own bubble. And then, you know, students coming into Gustavus have their own little bubble. And so when you put uh, in deep, uh, you know, you, you put a group of students all together and outside of GAC, and that creates a unique connection. And I think that's, um, uh, that's really what helped uh, deep fostered um, amongst um, uh, students who, you know, you never thought would hang out together. But um, that first year, we took like 18 students together total. Wow. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I think, I mean, I like your, your approach. I mean, you, you know, you, well, one, you, you, you stayed with Gustavus. You didn't say, oh boy, this, I don't see enough diversity. I'm out of here. And then you, you, as you said, it becomes an opportunity for organizing and activism, which you, which you did. Then, um, is there, is there among, or what, I, th I believe among student organizations as well, the Eurasian American yeah, student. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yes. yes. Okay. Hackle. And were you, you were, were you involved in that? 
Yes, I was involved in that. Um, uh, I, I love Hackle. I mean, I think we're, we're not for these student organizations. I probably would have left Gustavus. Because, mm-hmm. um, and, and these, these are, you know, um, small but important spaces for uh, students of color to really find um, connections um, and have, find shared experiences uh, when, you know, we can feel isolated at times. And right. so, yeah, uh, definitely love Hackle, love doing the Hmong New Year, um, love, you know, making friends and being with friends. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know how many Hmong students there are, but a, a fair number at Gustavus. And I've taught taught a number mm. of them. It's been, been I mean, certainly Gustavus is, I mean, we have a long way to go, but compared to what it was, the diversity situation when I came, my wife Kate and I came, and others, you know, 30 some years ago, it's it's better. Um, but it's always, it's an, it's ongoing work, right? It's not something that I think stops mm. and then you rest on your laurels. It's just ongoing work. And especially since George Floyd's murder, I mean, all, all, all schools have been so, and you know, renewed efforts around issues of equity and inclusion, racial justice. So, <clears throat> and, and Gustavus is certainly, certainly a part of that. Um, I wonder, I wonder about, um, so you, you graduate with the comp studies and poli sci double major. And are you thinking, I want to grow up and be a politician? I mean, at what point did you decide you're going to run for uh, state? What was this your first, first uh, run for office, the legislature? Yeah. Um, I actually honestly never thought about running for office. Um, <laughs> I think it just so happens that my experience uh, uh help prepared me to run for office. Um, you know, uh, what I, when I mentioned earlier, it was high school, uh, was, was the time that I had my political awakening or debuted. And, and that's how it got me started in politics, um, organizing in the community and, and the importance of, of, um, advocating for, for my community. Um, at that time, like specifically the Hmong or Asian American community. And, uh, I, you know, the friends that I, I made during the campaign, uh, they're, you know, they're now my lifelong friends and, um, that, uh, yeah, I, I kept in touch with them, um, throughout college. Um, and, um, you know, when I graduated college, I wanted to continue to remain involved in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't going to do foreign service anymore. I wanted to, um, build my roots here in Minneapolis in Brooklyn center. And so I, uh, worked at, uh, I stayed in public sector, I worked at a nonprofit. I was a community engagement coordinator, um, I worked on nonpartisan campaigns, doing voter engagement, civic engagement. And, um, I also worked on partisan campaigns. I helped elect, uh, folks into office. And then, uh, soon, uh, after my predecessor, she wanted to run for attorney general. And so that opened up her seat. And, and who was that? that? Deb Hillstrom. Okay. Yeah. And so is that, so were you, um, I mean, did someone approach you about yeah. running for that seat? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. My, um, folks approached me to, uh, run for the seat. Um, and I was, 
she, Deb Hellstrom also um, um, approached me about thinking uh, running for um, uh, her seat too, because she's she's you know brought up to me that she was going to run for attorney general. Okay. And, and um, did you have? The, uh, well, go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, and sorry. And at that time, um, I was already um, getting involved in getting more active at the legislature, just, you know, being more of a, a community advocate at the legislature. And that's how I uh, I met Deb Hillstrom. I, I, um, I didn't. That was the time I learned, oh, you can actually ask to meet with your uh, elected <laughs> official. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, she came out to, uh, we met in Brooklyn Center, had coffee, and that's uh, when I first met her. And um, yeah, it was soon after that, I learned she was going to run for attorney general and folks approached me to run for it. And I said, no, um, I, yeah, it was definitely uh, very, very tough for me to say yes. It took multiple, <laughs> multiple people convincing me. Um, and you were very young. I mean, how, at what, we're yeah, talking about I was, 20, uh, 23 and then got 23. elected. Yeah. 23, I got elected at 24. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. The, um, and so did you have, um, on the DFL side, did you have opponents? Uh, yes. It was actually another Hmong woman, Cindy Yang, who ran also for the seat. Oh, interesting. Yeah. She, she, um, uh, was actually the DFL endorsed candidate, and I was the underdog uh, going into the campaign. Um, but I, I stuck through and I won. So, yeah, that's exciting. That's a great. Yeah. That's a great story. And um, I don't know if you're the young. You must be one of the youngest uh, members of the legislature, I imagine. Which is yeah. which is another, a great example too for for young people, young Hmong, Hmong people, but young people in general. Um, how many, so roughly how many, how many Hmong, you were one of, is it Representative Her, who's the other, um, who was yes. elected with you? Representative yes. Her and I got elected at the same time. Right. So you're the, for, are you, you're the first two Hmong women in the house, I guess. But mm-hmm. is that, how many are, how many Hmong people are in the legislature roughly as a whole? There's Senate a total of six. Six. Wow. Total yeah. of six. Yeah. Before, and, yeah, 2018 was definitely a record number of, uh, a historic number for women, historic number for people of color, um, immigrants. So, um, yeah, 2018 we elected, uh, yeah, the basically f- five Hmong, uh, at the in, in 18. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In 18. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, there is there. I'm just reading some of those statistics and preparing for this um, podcast. Some of the statistics about diversity in the legislature, which I you know, now can't quote off the top of my head. But you know, at one level, it's really that's it. But at at another level, it's historic, I guess, from what I read. I mean, it's more there's more diversity people of color in the state house than than ever before. And tell us a little bit before we get into kind of um, some of your other work. What what is it? What is the uh, caucus that you had like? What is what is its function? the people of color indigenous uh, caucus. Yeah, it's, um, definitely the Posse caucus has grown. Um, we didn't really hit the Posse caucus did not hit critical mass until 2018. Um, it was before 2018. I think there was only probably six, uh, legislators of color. Um, and, uh, a small but mighty caucus, and then uh, 2018 came, and and we grew to 
13, hmm. 13 um, uh, members of the Posse Caucus. And uh, it was, you know, that first year together, we were um, just, you know, it was definitely a learning curve for all of us being freshmen. Um, it's like going back to, to, uh, high school in some way, just kind of learning all the, uh, your, your way around the building and, and whatnot, and just kind of getting a feel of the legislature. And, um, we, we, we were very, um, uh, we wanted to, we knew, we, we shared a lot of, we, sh- we had shared values. We had, we, we know that there's a lot that we want to do, um, that we can do together. And so, uh, we have a very strong bond with one another and, uh, you know, the Posse Caucus, uh, became a force to be reckoned with at the, at the legislature. Yes. Yeah. And, I didn't even know, I really didn't know much about the caucus until again, preparing for the, for our conversation. So it includes, uh, native people, black people, I mean, Asian Americans, Asian, it's quite, mm-hmm. quite a quite a diverse as, as it should be i guess given, given its name and purpose a diverse a diverse group um and that's mm-hmm. that's hopeful what about um you know i just i find it interesting i'm, I'm just interested in people's work generally and what people do and how they do it. but what is i mean is, is I, I know there's probably no typical day in the life of a state representative here but but what 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 is a day like for you when when the legislature is in 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 session yeah, well, um, yeah, no, no, no one day is ever the same, but we do have a lot of meetings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it can go early, it can go late. Um, I think uh, what you can expect is uh, we, when on, on a regular session, we have, uh, we are assigned to committees. And so this, this year, um, I sit on four committees, uh, public safety, uh, and judiciary, public safety, judiciary committee. Um, I'm the vice chair of um, agriculture uh, committee, and um, uh, I'm blinking out on my fourth one. Oh, and then the uh, the one I mentioned on uh, police, uh, <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the the um, public safety, public safety, right? Exactly. Yeah, finance, yeah. et cetera. The, the um, and how are those committees that you? asked to be on or you're just sort of arbitrarily assigned how does that work yeah well we we can um we rank them in in in, um uh from from interest so you know everyone we don't really get all the committees that we want but we can rank you know what's our top priority or not um and it's actually the speaker who makes the final decision know where she puts all of us in Okay, and we should note that I think in in 2018 the DFL, correct me if I'm wrong, had took the uh, majority. Yeah. yeah, so I mean that must be that. Well, you weren't there, I guess, when that wasn't the case. But it's got to be more fun when you're in the majority. Right? <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more fulfilling. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so how much how much time? I mean, I, right, a lot of time. I think people may not realize is spent in committees and hearings. But so how is it really? Not that much time on the actual on the floor. I mean, debating bills is, is really most of your time in in the committees. Yeah, I would say the first couple months you can expect um, a lot of time to be spent in committee because that's where we do 
um, the work um, of, um, it, of, you know, looking at the language, the Pasi language, reworking the language, hearing from uh, the public testimonies. Um, that's, that's, I would say, the fun part of the legislative process. That's really where, as they say, the sausage is being made, I guess, to, mm-hmm. you know, working out the bills. And um, talk to me a little bit, too, about some of some of the challenges and surprises, um, because you're, what, you're now in your second term, I guess, right? Just finishing your second term or mm-hmm. still or halfway. Are you finished with your second term or halfway through? Halfway through. I have one more year. Halfway through. Yes. Yeah. OK. So, you know, you're still relatively new. What, what have been some of the challenges and surprises, whether, you know, good surprises, sort of not so good surprises, uh, in your experience thus far as a legislator? Oh, um, there's each, it's, it, there's plenty to surprise me. I think, uh, so (laughs) far for the terms that I've been in, uh, uh, there's always something new that I'm learning, um, all the time. And, um, I think, uh, you know, it's important for people to, I think, know that um, how I think the the thing that surprised me was uh, when I first got elected, um, I didn't realize how accessible um, we we are to uh, the, the public. Well, the public <laughs> doesn't really know how accessible we are to them. Um, you know, yes. you can enter the Capitol buildings and, you know, walk in there's no security door or or um guard that you you have to pass through um and if you want to see us debate on the floor you could just come and sit on the the gallery uh the galleria and and watch us debate um so i think um that's you know that's one thing that that we're pretty accessible um and uh you know I, it's <laughs> uh, i would say this year has definitely this term has been, definitely been been uh difficult uh i uh like my first term i think we were debating heavily about the gas tax and yes, so I now, remember that. I kind of miss that having those sorts of debate now. <laughs> <laughs> those nuts and bolts, yeah, right. not 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 existential issues like you right. Know, right. <laughs> democracy. And, right. Yeah. So so it's um, yeah. I think I, I just I just go by. I just take it day by day and see you know that what I can get out of it, um, make the most out of it, um, and go from there. And you had, I mean, boy, one of the one of the challenges was the was the Dante Wright uh, killing um, that tragedy. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. I guess the legislature was in session, right, when when that oh, yeah. happened. Yeah, and um, it happened in, in in Brooklyn Center. And just if you can just you know tell us a little bit about what that was like for you. I mean, I can only imagine what it was like, how awful it was for the family. Of, mm-hmm. of Mr. Wright. I mean, I, I can't, I can only imagine just how terrible that was, family, loved ones, friends. But, but what was it like for you as a, as a representative of Brooklyn Center when you heard mm-hmm. that news? And, and talk to me a little bit also. I'd like to hear about the bill that you've uh, sponsored. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when Dante Wright happened, like it could not have come as, as 
such a worse time. You know, those, I think it was a week before the Derek Chauvin trial. Yes, um, that's you know, right. We're in, still in the George Floyd case. Yeah. Right. In the George Floyd case, you know, we're, the state is still recovering from the aftermath of George Floyd and everyone's still emotional and emotions are rising up again. I mean, it was chaotic. I mean, the moment I found out about Dante, um, I called my mayor and he, he said he was about to go in a meeting with the police department. And I said, you know, you have to let them show the body camera. Uh, people will be demanding to see the footage. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I'm glad that the police chief made the right decision to, to show, show it right away the, uh, the next day. Um, and I was there in that room, um, when, um, I saw it for the first time with everybody else, with the public. And it was, um, yeah, it was incredible. It's so, I mean, it's just so hard to watch. They they all are. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you, I mean, you, you must have just sort of kicked into action. I mean, what, what was your sense of your role at that point as a state rep yeah. uh, of, of, the, of, the, of, of Brooklyn Center? Yeah. And um, I, I mean, all I could think about was keeping, uh, making sure I, I keep my community intact. Mm. Um, you know, it was the feeling of doing everything to help yet, you know, still end up feeling helpless. <laughs> um, uh, and this is actually the first time I'm able to talk about it without feeling uh, so emotional. Um, mm. It, uh, yeah, it was very chaotic. Um, this, you know, I would say that uh, if any city has to learn about what has happened between, you know, Minneapolis and Brooklyn Center is that no city government is prepared for this type of unrest. That's a good um, point. We are at a racial reckoning in this country, and the symptoms of our um, racist structures has led us to this boiling point. Um, And unless we do something drastic to eliminate the root causes of why black men and brown men get killed at a higher rate from police officers, we will continue to reach a boiling point. And um, when, you know, uh, news media wanted to dig into Brooklyn Center, you know, want to see what made Brooklyn Center different. Um, well, you know, Brooklyn Center is just like any other city. You know, what happened to Brooklyn Center in Minneapolis can also happen in other cities and ha- has happened right. in other That's cities. Right. Um, and, and the only thing that made uh, that, that made Brooklyn Center unique is that we are the future face of America. We are suburban people of color, majority city, uh, one of two in the state. The other one is in Brooklyn Park. And, and soon in our lifetime, Greg, we, uh, America will be a people of color majority. Right. And um, we have to accept that, you know, past America thrived by exploiting the labor of black and brown people. You know, uh, for example, slavery, the transcontinental, transcontinental railroad. Um, yes. and, and what we're experiencing during this critical time is these racist structures no longer serve the America today. And will not serve the uh, the future of America, and and so what I hope people learn from Brooklyn Center, and especially uh, my colleagues at the Capitol, is that we cannot accept the status quo. Like we must be forthcoming to think about the future of a state. Uh, we can no longer ignore race. We have to say yes, racism exists. It is a disease in America, and we must cure it. Um, and uh, you know. I, that's that's 
what I hope um, <laughs> uh, that if we can get anything out from what we learned um, this past year is that we we have to be uh, forthcoming, intentional um, right. when we talk about race and doing policy yeah. work. Yeah, and it's it, I mean it's it's so important, and of course even more important now that we have. Um, and it's just a fact, Republican-led legislatures uh, around the country seeking to prevent <laughs> uh, the discussion and teaching of issues related to race or equating those with, you know, denouncing the United States. And of course, there are wonderful people uh, in history and presently, yourself included, fighting racism. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And especially, you know, in a place like Minnesota, which kind of as I think, you know, there's this Minnesota exceptionalism I've always thought where, you know, we're somehow different. No, 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 not really. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when people were saying, oh, George Floyd, that's not the Minnesota. I know. How could that happen here? Well, because that is who we are and we need to confront that. And and then in confronting, as you say, um, you know, reckon with it in, in positive ways. And, and that leads me to, to, to talk a little bit or ask you a little bit about the legislation. You, I mean, there's all this talk about, def, you know, some people defund the police or police reform. Talk to us a little bit about the bill you sponsored. Didn't that bill pass the, the, the legislature? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Tell us a little bit about the, about the bill and what it will uh, do. Yes. Yeah, so this bill, uh, we, we termed it as sign and release. Um, and this is, um, you know, Dante Wright, um, uh, how he got arrested is because under, you know, before, before my bill got, or, yeah, the signing release got um, passed. Um, the reason why Dante Wright got arrested is because uh, if he missed a court hearing that he never knew about, um, he got a summons for court and I, I believe it got delivered to the wrong address. And so he missed his court hearing. And so when he got pulled over uh, for a minor violation um, and uh, the officer uh, looked him up, uh, noticed that uh, he, he missed a court hearing and and you know it was it was practice or policy that they have to arrest a person and so that escalated um dante right not knowing why he was getting arrested um that really escalated um, um the tensions and it was unnecessary and so that's how we uh, came up with sign and release that if uh, an officer were to pull over um uh, an individual, um, and notice that they, uh, you know, missed a court hearing or, uh, that they would not arrest a person. Instead, they would just give them a form, let them know, Hey, you missed a court hearing and, uh, you sign here and, and they'd be off on their way. Yeah. And that probably could have saved Dante Wright. Exactly. And maybe, maybe many others as well. I mean, it's just, mm -hmm. it, it's just crazy. Uh, I, I was so happy to read about the bill. And I'm so happy to hear that it's, it's, it's going to become law or is law. The, um, was it, was there, was there bipartisan support for that? Is, is there any, is bipartisanship alive, if not also well in, in the Minnesota state house? Yeah. The signing release, the one that, um, I, uh, co-authors, uh, is, is bipartisan. Um, we had, um, the, the house Republicans, a few who, uh, were police officers, uh, signed on, uh, even, you know, shared their thoughts and amendments to improve the bill. Um, and so, yeah, it was bipartisan in the house and, and, um, I think it's also bipartisan in, 
in the Senate. Well, the Senate didn't really have any hearings on police accountability or, or police reform at all. Um, but, uh, you know, when we were at the negotiating table, that was one of the um, signing release was one of them that they were uh, willing to work with. And the Senate is still a Republican majority, right? Yes, the Senate is Republican controlled. What about our, what are the prospects for further uh, legislation around police reform? Do you think here in Minnesota? Um, well, when we the House, uh, when uh, all the all the police accountability bills that we we um, we heard. Uh, there are about over 20 to 30 provisions, measures that we wanted to um, get done and we passed in the House. But the Senate, they, um, you know, they barely had any hearings about it. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like the the dynamics that we're working, working with. Similar um, dynamics nationally where the House is... Uh now, I mean, passing has passed all kinds of bills, but then the Senate just just ignores them essentially. Right, right, and so that's got to be frustrating. It was, it was, and we didn't um, have, uh, uh, we didn't get everything that we wanted, but we did. We were able to get something, right. um, and uh, you know, the Posse Caucus played a huge role. Um, and making that their top priority. Um, I um, am lucky to be chair of the Posse Caucus and I'm lucky to, to lead on that. Um, and, you know, that's, that's how we got signed and release at the last minute is because of the push of the Posse Caucus. Um, that's a great example of how that caucus can be effective in concrete, mm -hmm. concrete ways. The... Um, you know, I mean, racism uh, certainly affects African-American or black people, but also it's you know Asian-American people and Asian people, Asian-American people in our country's history. And especially recently with the uptick in, in, in violence against um, people of Asian descent, to what extent is that? I mean, I, I know <laughs> the answer It's on your radar, but to, to what extent is that on on? your radar as a state legislator? Is there anything that the, the legislature is considering doing to, to um, deal with um, you know, hate crimes against Asian Americans specifically? Yeah, I uh, co-authored a bill with Representative Frank Kornstein. Uh, he uh, uh, led on a hate crimes bill that essentially improves the reporting of um, hate uh, and, and bias uh, incidents. In Minnesota, because right now, um, how you can report a hate crime is you have to inform a police officer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our communities of color don't often feel comfortable contacting the police, um, sometimes for help. And uh, and we instead go to, you know, our neighbors or our community advocates, community organizations. And so um, this hate crime bill would have improved um, how we report um, uh, bias and hate motivated incidents at the state. I think in the federal level, they passed a hate crime bill. Um, but right, I, I think, yeah, I think Biden signed, it was either an executive order or legislation. Yeah. yeah. Because you were, I'm just thinking you're just, the, the, just, the, I mean, you know, if we don't know how, if, if things are being, 
they're not being reported or they're being underreported for whatever reasons, then that's a problem, obviously. Exactly. In, 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 if, we're, if we want to deal with those uh, crimes. So did that, is that bill advancing or has what's happened no, to it? No, didn't, it didn't pass through the legislature. Didn't oh, sorry. Yeah. Right. Is um, that something you can, you can reintroduce in the next yeah, session? Yeah, I mean, or? the bill is still alive um, mm-hmm. because, you know, we next year will be a policy year. Um, and so the bill is still alive. Uh, we can still try to do one with push. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this year has definitely been, uh, I've, I've never felt more Asian <laughs> in my yeah. well, life during this time. <laughs> that's literally, oh, that's amazing, because that is literally <laughs> the next question I was going to ask you, which is, to what, <laughs> I was going to ask you how all of this has affected your your sense of yourself as a, as a, as a, as an Asian woman among, among American women specifically. So say a little bit more about that. Yeah. Is it, is it, you, you mean because of, because of the violence, because of the hate, uh, or, yeah, or is there more I mean, to it? During, yeah. You know, COVID, um, you know, I remember when, you know, the world, uh, was shutting down and just feeling nervous, just even going through like the grocery, going to a grocery store, getting groceries. Um, you know, and then, uh, with the Atlanta shooting, yes, um, the spa shooting's horrible. Oh yeah. And, uh, and then right after Dante Wright and navigating a racial juncture heavily dominated between blacks and whites. And so I've, yeah, never felt more Asian in my life than during that time. And it's really not a great feeling. Um, and despite me being a state representative, I did not think that I had to reassert myself as a state representative, but I had to. You have um, to. I wasn't going to play, you know, their stereotypical Asian woman who was going to step aside and let others run the show. And, and, and despite how others made me feel, at the end of the day, I'm still a state representative. It is my elected duty to take care of my district, and that will always be my top priority. And yeah, and you've been you've been really. I mean, you've been. I, I certainly in print. I read you know quite blunt about um, the need for 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 Asian people uh, among people specifically here in Minnesota not to not to be uh, to be more visible, and that some of that is on them, right? I mean, that you know to be more politically engaged. And I wonder about that. I mean, to what extent to to, to what extent are um, are Hmong Americans your 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 base? I mean, are, are are they are they more politically engaged than let's say they were five years ago or ten years ago? Is is there progress or still a long way to go? There's still a long way to go, but um, being doing this uh, organizing work for the past ten years since I started in high school, um, I've definitely noticed uh, a lot uh, of change, a lot of progress. Uh, before when I first started, you know, it was a learning curve to just get people to vote, like why people should vote. Um, we didn't have that uh, a strong voting history of just being regular voters, but now. Um, you know, uh, there are Hmong neighbors who, yeah, when I talk to, I go door knock and say, oh yeah, I, I know where to vote. I, you know, is it the usual place that I go to? When is it? All right, I'll be there. Like, I don't have to convince people, uh, why it's important to, to go and vote as much anymore. Um, That's progress. Yeah. And I think that's still huge. I mean, there's still a lot of, uh, 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 there needs to be more improvement, but 
I think, um, you know, I can only see activism coming more from the Asian American community, not less. And, and I gather you, you feel strongly too about the need for young, young people, young Hmong Americans, young Asian Americans, especially to be, to be more involved. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Any opportunity I can take to uh, speak to young people, I will always encourage them to, you know, get involved politically, civically, just even in the community. Um, And not a lot of people know, even when I was just starting to get involved, that how easy it is to just, you know, if you're to contact your elected official, hey, what are you working on? Or let's go and meet for coffee and talk about, you know, um, issues that you care about, um, and yeah, we can we are we can be, and that is that accessible. Um, right. And and a, a lot of constituents don't realize that we pay attention. We listened a lot to our district, the needs of our district, and the constituents can play a direct role in helping us, um, you know, shape our bills. Yeah, I think that that's a really important point because <clears throat> there is there is so much. Um, it's not new, but but maybe maybe it's more intense. The cynicism about well, it doesn't matter who which party is in power and the majority, and they, you know, I what you know, what does my voice matter? But that, I agree with you. I've learned learned that as my wife Kate has gotten involved with um, with uh, Representative Omar. Mm-hmm. campaigns I mean, really I mean, just how accessible you are and how yeah how pe- you do listen you do listen to those who are doing the talking to your you know so um yeah i think your your point your points are well taken and um it's you know it's hard for me i don't want to do cold calling as you said i'm not crazy about knocking on doors <laughs> but there are other ways to be involved that are just as you know just as important it's all it's all important the um I mean, in some in some ways, you're a role model, right? As given your youth and and, and your, your your background, and hopefully an inspiration. I'm sure you are for other uh, young young Asian Americans among Americans in Minnesota specifically. You know, I wonder also about. Um, I'll put you on the spot here a little bit about your own ambitions, and I say that I don't I don't consider uh, ambition to be a bad thing. Uh, like I many times wish wish our Gustavus students were even more ambitious. But I, have you thought beyond your, your your current position? I mean, is 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 do you think, wow, this is something I'd like to continue either in the House or maybe the Senate or maybe beyond? Or is this sort of, well, I want to do this for a while and then I'm not sure? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure about running for higher office. Um, you know, I I think I'm good <laughs> where I'm at right now, <laughs> especially with all the things that I've gone through this year. Um, and uh, I want to keep doing a good job at where I'm at. Um, and uh, it's as long as we're in the majority in the house, I feel like I can still continue to do uh, good work. Um, and do you know how long do I plan to stay in office? I'm not sure. Um, but what I do know is that it does take, uh, away time from my personal life. And, you know, I think right now I can do it because I'm uh, a single, you know, uh, woman with no kids. Um, and I can dedicate and focus uh, on my career. Um, but I think eventually, uh, I think just learning from my colleagues who have young kids and who, um, 
uh, have a, who wants to spend time with their family, I think that will be uh, very difficult. So I guess when that day comes, I'll, I'll think about what my next steps are. You'll reassess. Yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, your um, public service is incredibly important and, you know, rewarding, but also uh, involves sacrifice. There's no, no question about that. And mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about some of that sacrifice, the amount of time uh, that's, that's required and the psychic energy and emotional energy, especially when there's a crisis. Um, God, God knows we're, we're in so many crises right now. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it's hard to know where to start. But um, I want to end, as I often do, with uh, uh, you you offering your own kind of spontaneous elevator pitch for Gustavus. You've talked a little bit about what you liked about it. I mean, what is it? How How, how is your Gustavus education still... Um, you're not that far out from graduation, but informing you as a person, uh, as a representative. Yeah, I learned a lot from Gustavus. Overall, my experience at Gustavus uh, has been great. You know, there are many opportunities for me to, uh, you know, grow as a leader. Like if I, um, you know, wanted to send a student to become a world-class leader, I would say Gustavus. Gustavus can deliver that. They can deliver a world-class leader. Um, uh, the, the next generation of, of America. And um, Gustavus taught me a lot about, uh, I learned a lot about social justice issues from Gustavus. Um, I learned more about my identity um, from Gustavus um, and, and having a better understanding of that. Um, so I, I have a lot to thank for Gustavus and, and my time there. And um you know, I, I think because uh, Davis is, is a big, small enough community for for many students to, um, you know, explore and hone in on their growth. And yes, uh, yeah, I'm really I'm really happy that I went there. I don't I don't regret it. Yeah, well, we don't regret that you came. <laughs> I, um, I want to echo what you said about sort of about social justice. That's something about Gustavus that long attracted me. As I say, I, had, I didn't know about Gustavus until I applied for the job, but learning about its long tradition of social justice or commitment to social justice education. And then I, yeah, I think more and more about leadership and the importance of policymaking. And um, I, I think I would echo what you said about Gustavus really creating an impressive number of leaders and not just in politics, but in so many fields is pretty amazing um, mm-hmm. considering, you know, the size of the school and, you know, we have a modest endowment relative to other, uh, some, you know, elite top tier national liberal arts colleges. But yeah, we have just amazing leadership um, among our alums. So, and you're one of them. Uh, I wish you, uh, you. A, a relaxing break. You're welcome from, thank you for all your work as a, uh, by the way, do you know, uh, you, you know, representative Ann rest, do you know her at all? Do you come across her? Right yes. Now? Yes. Well, it turns out, I didn't know this. We, uh, a group of us have been, uh, zooming with, uh, one of our high school history teachers who grew up in Minnesota. I went to high school in Park Forest, Illinois, and Anne is an alum of the same. So one, one of these Zoom calls, I got to meet Anne. <laughs> and, uh, great. She seems like a great person. Yeah. I want to get together with her in person at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So she's tell awesome. her, I tell her, tell her I say hello if you run across her. <laughs> I will for sure. <laughs> and, uh, thank you. And best of luck with, um, uh, your, your, your housing advocacy and then, and then, um, getting some rest before the next, uh, before the next session begins. Definitely. Um, it's been great to talk. 
uh, and get to know you a little better. We didn't really know one another at Gustavus. So as always, um, these conversations make me so proud to be, uh, be a professor there. So all the best, take good care and thank you. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate your time. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Learning for Life at Gustavus is produced by J.J. Aiken and Matthew Dobosensky of the Gustavus Office of Marketing. Gustavus graduate Will Clark, class of 20, who also provides technical expertise to the podcast, and me. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Gustavus Adolphus College. <laughs>